now. One of uh, the beautiful things about parables is that it is a vast way they bring meaning into our lives. It's almost like a gemstone that has multiple facets or multiple angles. It brings different perspectives or views based on that message that Jesus is bringing into our lives. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus spoke so often in parables. I I think parables cause us to pause and reflect. They make us question and wonder what, what Jesus was trying to get across through those teachings. They cause the mystery of God's kingdom become clearer and more focused at times. And other times, when you read a parable, you might be scratching your head in deeper confusion. Like, what is Jesus trying to say here? And maybe that's why Jesus speaks in parables. And in in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that we have to become like, like little children if we're going to understand God's kingdom. And Jesus always, almost always speaks of, par- of God's kingdom in parables. Almost like we have to listen very carefully to make meaning out of them. Children are often not closed off to stories or believing that they're too good for those stories or believing that they have nothing to learn from those parables and stories. Children are willing to engage with them. They're willing to seek meaning from them. And this parable of the sower and the seed and the soil apparently has to do with God's kingdom, God's dream for this world, the the desire that God has for that shalom or wholeness in all people and in this earth. And I've read this passage many times before. I know most of us in this room have at least heard this passage or read it themselves, where we've read it before and we find meaning in the sower's desire to spread the seed or to spread God's word with little or no abandon. Almost like the sower is just willing to give away this abundance without any requirement from the soil to be ready first before the seed is sown. And I've read this parable and I've found meaning in different types of soil where at times I have been good and healthy soil and other times there have been thorns and rocks in my life that choke out the good parts of my life because of the decisions I've made or the decisions other people have made for me. And other times I've read this parable and I've seen it as a calling to produce an abundance of fruits, like God has produced an abundance within me. I believe every reading of this and other parables that we read belong because they point the parables to this place of being open to what God is doing through Jesus. When we approach the word, this good word the farmer is sowing, when we approach it with a hard heart, or believing that we have nothing more to learn, because I've already read this parable 15 times before, and I know what it means for me, or that we have nothing more to gain from these teachings, we are no longer curious to what God is up to. And if we assume we know what God is up to, what God has always been up to, then what happens is that we become the word. We become the voice of God by blocking God's voice out. Our hearts become shut and our ears become closed because we believe we know all we have ever needed to know. How does this show up in our churches? 
When I believe that I know what God desires and my confidence in God's law becomes more important than the flesh and blood human being in front of me, I can't stay curious to what God is up to in the life of myself or the life of other people or the life of this church. When a patriarchal church and a patriarchal reading and a patriarchal sort of sense of seeing the Bible saw women as preaching with Holy Spirit gifts, but yet you look at the Bible and I'm interpreting it that that's not okay, they couldn't, people couldn't stay curious to what God might have been up to. And when those highly religious Pharisees and the teachers of the law saw what Jesus was doing and how he was bending God's law or maybe even breaking God's law, they closed it. They couldn't stay curious to what God might have been up to. I think being curious to what God is up to keeps our hearts accessible, keeps our ears open, It keeps our tables expanded. There's room for everybody because we know that we are not the ones that says what God is up to or what God is not up to. And Jesus seemed to want people to stay curious to what God was up to, to believe that God hadn't stopped moving and revealing and expanding. Jesus wanted people to know that God would never give up sowing seed and revealing another way of being in this world that looked like love given and received. God wasn't going to stop doing that. But Jesus also knew that this hardness in the people's heart wasn't a brand new issue. And so he pointed out this familiar cycle in the past. So Carol just read Mark 4, and it says in verse 11 to 12, Jesus says, uh, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, or the secret would be like the mystery of God's kingdom. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that, and then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, he says, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they may turn and be forgiven. That's a weird passage. So flip with me to Isaiah 6. We're going to be there for a little bit. Uh, If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. If not, then you've got a Bible in front of you if you want to turn in that one, or you can just listen in. Uh, But we're going to be in here just for a bit. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is kind of in the middle of the Bible. Exactly in the middle. Go to the middle, and you'll find Isaiah. Isaiah 6 is being held by a little note from Aiden to me. I've got lots of little notes in my Bible. It's the sweetest thing ever, so tell Aiden thank you for holding Isaiah 6 for me. So this is the the story Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet, a truth teller, a mouthpiece for God, and it says, "In in, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Two wings covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another back and forth, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts, And thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I asked, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted, and the fields ruined and ravaged. And so the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid to waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Oh, that's a heavy passage. There's like no hope there. Why would Jesus quote this in this parable about God's kingdom. I'm just going to walk through it for a minute here because I think that there's there's meaning that isn't having to do with the sermon, but I feel like it's important for me, so maybe it's important for you. I think that first verse, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. King Uzziah was said to be Isaiah's cousin, and he was said to be a very important king of Israel, the hope of Israel in many ways. And I think sometimes we can look at that year of our lives, the year my child died, the year I was divorced, the year I graduated with my master's degree and never thought I could, the years of the great highs and the great lows, and believe that that is the defining factor of what has happened in our lives. And what Isaiah is saying is, in this year, in this defining year, The Lord is high and exalted. The Lord is unchanging in the midst of all the changes and all the hopes and all the eggs in one basket that you may put in your life. The Lord is unchanging. The Lord is still high and exalted. And then we see this holy, holy, holy moment. And remember we talked about when there's three words in a row, it means that it's really important. They can't really bold the text back then in the Hebrew language. But when there's three words together, it means pay attention. This is important. Holy, holy, holy. In the midst of King Uzziah dying, holy, holy, holy. And then God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And this is like, this is the part where a lot of pastors just end it and they don't go into that next passage that's really depressing. They're like, here I am, send me. And they're like, see, God is calling you and will commission you, will be with you. And, and, and then Isaiah gets the message of what he's supposed to bring. And it's like, wait, I'm supposed to bring what to the people? I'm supposed to 
share with them that they'll never understand. So it's like it's like the hand up in the air, like the, the toddler going, pick me, pick me, pick me, I know the answer. But then later on, like right after God says that, he goes, wait, 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 wait. How long, Lord? How long am I supposed to stay with this message? And then God says, until the cities lie ruined. And we know what the history says from this passage moving forward about how all of Jerusalem and all of Israel was just utterly destroyed. Fully destroyed. And it feels like, where is the hope in this? But I wonder if Jesus is sharing a little bit of this passage because of that last verse in 13. It says, so the holy seed will be the stump in that land. And I looked up the stumps of oak trees because I know that the stumps of our redwood forests, you'll go in the community forest here and you see that those stumps are growing new trees. But to look at an oak tree, and I'm from the Bay Area, there's lots of oak trees in that area. I've never really noticed if oak tree stumps grow new, new growth. And so I was looking at it up and everything, and, and, and you know maybe Susan can give us more information because she's the expert. But the thing that I researched about oak trees is that you know the oak comes from that acorn seed. A new oak is born out of that acorn seed. But from the stump, there is a certain amount of protein property within that stump that can grow a new tree that's even stronger than the tree that was there before. A stronger one that can come from that acorn. That's what I read online. I don't know if it's totally true, but it made it brought me hope because I could see that in the midst of everything being torn down, God was still moving and still hopeful that things could be reborn when we think that nothing can come out of it. How does this passage out of Isaiah give meaning and commentary to the one that we just read in Mark's gospel? And I think it's just simply another story about God's continual pursuit of people. I mean, even God knows that the people's hearts are more often than not closed to God's voice and the voice of God's prophets and the voice of God's truth-tellers, yet God never stops pursuing. Who will I send to those with their ears already shut? Who will I send to those whose soil is full of rocks and thorns? Who will I send to the places and the people who are obviously not ready to to hear this message yet or to receive the message, but they still need to hear it? Maybe there's something that happens to someone when they hear a message of truth of what they are doing instead of the hope of what they can become. I mean, I talk about love a lot here, and I'm always talking about you need to be able to receive God's love, but sometimes if we don't hear the truth of what we're doing that blocks receiving God's love, we can't actually receive it. I worked at a pool for a long time. I was a lifeguard for many years uh, through high school and then through the first few years of college. And in the wintertime as a lifeguard, you really just watch lap swimmers going back and forth. There's one lifeguard for this enormous pool. It's, a, it's an Olympic-sized pool. One lifeguard for everybody, because mostly everybody knows how to swim. And I'm dressed in, like, more clothes than you could ever imagine, because it's freezing outside. <laughs> and I'm getting pelted with rain, and I'm like, there's no way I'm jumping in to rescue that person, because I'll sink to the bottom with what I'm wearing right now. But in the summertime, the pool will be full of families and kids. I mean, more people in that pool than probably should be. We usually have like eight or nine lifeguards circling the deck the whole time or sitting there watching and making sure 
people were safe and following the rules. And the rule that was told more than any other rule was no running. <laughs> it was the rule that was broken 100% of the time by every single person, adults and children alike. And I would say it again and again. I'd blow my whistle and I'd say, no running, or walk please, walk please, as nice as I could, and, or just no running because I was just irritated by that point. <laughs> and that message would fall on deaf ears and hard hearts 100% of the time. <laughs> I wasn't asking them to walk because I hated those kids or because I was really hoping to ruin their summer by telling them to walk. I wanted those kids to avoid danger. I wanted to them to have a great summer where they weren't in a wheelchair because they broke their leg from running on a wet pool deck. I wanted them to be safe. I found that one day, if instead of shouting, walk please, or no running, I shouted, run faster. <laughs> and when I said, run faster to these kids, most kids would stop. <laughs> and they'd look at me very confused. And they would begin to walk. <laughs> telling the truth about their behavior, instead of simply telling them the hope of how I wanted them to behave, became a catalyst for changed behavior for at least for a moment. <laughs> Parables are ways to speak truth in a way that causes a person to stop and listen, to pay attention, to find themselves in the story, and to be curious about what God is still up to in this world. And when we read the parable of the sower, it's rare that we ever believe that we are the farmer sowing the seed or that we are even the seed. But it is often that we will read this story and see ourselves as that soil. And with a humility of heart, God reveals the truth of which soil we are living in, in the present, current state of our hearts. There's this story about a farmer in Japan uh, who had a plot of land on a mountainside. And, and no one believed that anything good could grow on this mountainside because it wasn't the right space to cultivate life. But this farmer knew anything could grow, even in the harshest of circumstances, if the farmer was attentive. And this farmer ventured out during the time of planting season, and he took a handful of seeds and he threw it out and tossed it over on this mountainside. And there was no plan to where the seed would fall or where it went. He didn't plan the soil and get it ready and take the few years of, of making sure the soil on that mountainside was right and dig little holes for each seed. He just threw it out there. And after a few weeks, this farmer went along that mountainside to observe what was growing. And everywhere he saw viable plants, he would crouch down and he would gently remove the stones and help plant this plant succeed in the soil it lived in. And over the years, the rains would come and it would change the mountainside landscape. And every year, that farmer would throw seed out and do his thing. There are many situations and circumstances that we may find ourselves in year after year. 
where the storms of our life bring rocks down that mountainside of our hearts that we never saw coming. But the hope I see is that the farmer never stops throwing the seed out, never stops telling the truth of who we are and God's love for us. So may we see with clear hearts and accessible ears and open eyes the truth of our own soil and the reality that the farmer continually sows seed, regardless of how perfect our soil might be today. May we, may we know that God's kingdom of love is available to all people. And may we never stop being curious about what God is up to in our own lives and the lives of those in our lives.